You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, hello. It's Brooke DeVard and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I am so excited to bring you guys this episode because it's a topic that we haven't really covered in a dedicated way here on Naked Beauty. We are talking about body image, body confidence, and I'm talking to one of my best and dearest friends, Lila, about her experience with Smart Lipo, liposuction. She went through this pretty recently, six weeks ago, and from the moment we talked after her appointment and even before it, I was like, would you be open to coming on Naked Beauty and sharing your experience? So I really appreciate her vulnerability and openness. I think body image issues are such a big part of the conversation, who we hold up as beautiful, what we hold up as the ideal, what we are striving towards is often a very specific body type. And it's something that I have in the past year more than ever had to question, why do I want to be a certain size? Now, for me personally speaking, when you have invested a lot of money in the clothes in your closet and you can no longer fit them, it is a sad feeling. So some of me wanting to lose weight currently, as I'm recording this now, has to do purely with being able to fit into a great Chanel blazer that I have in the back of my closet. (laughs) I will be honest about that. But I have come so far in terms of shifting my mindset. I like my body a lot. I think I look great the way that I look now, even though I weigh more than I did before I gave birth, but I have a beautiful child. And to me, what's most important is that I have started training hard. I am lifting weights I trained with my trainer, Lucy, this morning, and I was like doing a really heavy weight on these like chest push-up things. And she was like, you could barely do this without a weight when we first started training together back in March. So I just love that I'm getting stronger. It makes me feel so, so good. And your relationship with your body, it's like this lifelong relationship you have. And also now raising a child, I think about how my sweet, precious Mavi, he has no hangups about his body. He, there's no concept of like, I'm going to eat less for dinner because I had a big lunch. He just eats until he's full He and he loves to eat. Like I have no issues with a picky eater at all. He eats everything with gusto. He loves to eat. But he doesn't have this perception of 
of weight or body image. It's just a very pure relationship. I like it. I'm going to eat it. I've expended energy, so I need to eat more. I would love to get there. I think I'm still in the place where if I've really, really overdone it, I will cut back the next day. So if I go out and I have bread and pasta and wine and dessert the next day, I will not eat as much as I should eat. I should just focus on getting back on track and nourishing myself. But I'm not there yet. And that's just me being transparent with you guys as my audience, because I just think you are so kind and loving towards me. So I feel like this podcast is always a safe space. So I'm just sharing that with you coming from the space of honesty. I'm also not at the point where if I try something on and my stomach looks a certain way in it, or it's just not buttoning that I am immune to that and I just shrug it off. It does make me not feel good. I would love to get to the place where I'm like, there's no problem with me or my body. It's like these pants are simply just too small for me right now. And there is zero emotion attached to it. I would love to get to that place. I'm not there now. So body image issues, body confidence, who we look to as our body goals, a lot of it needs to be unpacked and dissected. And this conversation is very nuanced. And I don't like how the conversation around surgeries or choosing to undergo some sort of weight loss surgery has been reduced to you can either A, love yourself and accept yourself for who you are, or B, if you choose to do some sort of surgery, it means that you somehow don't love yourself or you, you didn't do the personal work it took to accept your body or you are falling victim to society's standards. It's much more complicated than that. We get into it all. All of this is to say that I am excited to bring you guys this episode and I'm so, so excited to hear your thoughts and feedback. I love when you share with me. Please reach out, Naked Beauty Planet. You can hit me up in DM and I am still accepting. I want to hear from listeners. I want to interview listeners of Naked Beauty on this podcast to celebrate my five years of podcasting. So if you want to be on Naked Beauty and just you know, get a little short interview from me, please email me at nakedbeautypodcast at gmail.com and put into the subject line listener or listener episode. Tell me where you're from, how long you've been listening and why the show means something to you. And I'm excited to chat with some of you guys. I think that's going to be a really fun episode. So thanks as always to all of your support. I appreciate people that are sharing when they listen to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, all the screenshots. I see the love. I feel the love. Thanks for everyone who's taken the time to rate and review the podcast. It really means so much to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Times a thousand. And let's get into the conversation. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence, every inch, stitch, 
Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Lila, you were last on this podcast five years ago. You were the second episode of Naked Beauty ever, which is, yeah, it was. I mean, it's a testament to you more than anything. And time, time just passes, but it's really incredible what you've done. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. But also, I mean, 2016, we were at very different life stages. You weren't married yet. I certainly was not a mom. I think I was newly married. I had you and Ashling on. You guys were talking about your experience as mixed race women. I think you both, both of your moms are white, correct? Uh, Mine is. (laughs) (laughs) I think I remember that because we were talking about like learning how to do hair and it was just, it was a very interesting discussion and it's so cool for me when I go back to those old episodes and it like the ethos and spirit of naked beauty is just the same. It's just talking to women I admire about their experiences with beauty. And that's why I'm so excited to speak with you because we have known each other for so long since 2007. Yes, at Stanford University, the, the college I hated so much my first semester until I met you guys. Exactly. We were really lost until we found each other, I'd say. Well, we are talking about such an important conversation right now um, in terms of your personal relationship with your body and beauty journey. Well, I don't want to say what you've done because I want to give you the space to say it. But as we were talking these past couple of weeks, I was like, why don't you come on Naked Beauty and chat about it? So what has changed in your life in the past couple of months? I had liposuction done. Yes. I did. I did. (laughs) I've had liposuction. (laughs) How does it feel to say out loud? It's honestly not as foreign as I thought it would feel. Like I haven't really told a ton of people about it. So like, Hey everyone, but also just like, I'm not like saying it a lot and like speaking it a lot. So to say it to this audience is obviously like, you know, a huge, huge number of people might hear me say it now, but it doesn't, it, I guess it doesn't feel super scary. It's just, yeah, it's just like a fact now. I don't know. Yes. Yes. It's a fact. It's and we're getting... You know, like it's just is, it's like, I got like my eyebrows microbladed. Right. It's just another <laughs> decision you made about your body. So we're going to get into the research beforehand, the actual procedure, what it's been like after. But before we do all of that, let's just go back to who you are. So you are living in Philly and what do you do for work? Quick note, in post-production, as I talked to Lila, she did not want to use her company name. So we will do a placeholder for the company name as she's talking about where she works. I'm a divisional merchandise manager. So I oversee um, several of the women's apparel categories. So I oversee a team of buyers and like get to work on the product, the design and all the merchandise and that kind of thing. Such a boss. And you've always had amazing style. I mean, I think back to freshman year, like you were like kind of like doing Rihanna before Rihanna was doing Rihanna. Um, But you always (laughs) had really great style, right? Like I think from from when I met you freshman year at college, it was always like, okay, Lila's really cool. She's putting together awesome outfits. Was that something that you were always really into? 
Yeah, definitely. And I attribute my eclectic style to my parents. I feel like both of them had really interesting style and I often wear like a lot of things with my dad still and like never fit into my mom's clothes because she's like five feet tall, but I definitely have a Sony dress in my closet, but I'm like one bit, I'll take this and wear. (laughs) But yeah, I've definitely always been interested in wearing things that other people aren't slash I should rephrase that and say, I don't like to wear what other people are wearing. And I feel like even if it's a piece that someone else would wear, I just always want to look different in it. So obviously super, super smart. Were you always like into school? For people that got into Stanford, I'm like, you just studied really hard. I was a nerd. So were you in high school? Yeah, I definitely was like pretty studious. I was in like AP classes and all that shit. And I hate to say it, but it wasn't like school wasn't that intense for me. Like I, I did like a lot of extracurriculars and stuff, but actually like academics in high school, mine weren't that challenging, I wouldn't say. Okay. A natural brainiac. So school came easily to you. You found yourself at Stanford. You also, Lila, speak like a million languages. Tell the listeners all the languages you speak. Well, I mean, obviously, like when you're in high school and college and you're actually like studying things and learning things, (laughs) I was learning a lot back then. I studied Italian first and then I lived in Italy in high school and then studied Spanish and French. And then in college, I tried Portuguese and Arabic and I was like, yeah, I think I'm done. Um, Oh my gosh. Wasn't there also a stint in Germany? Did I make that up? Oh yeah, you're right. I did. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I studied in Germany, but everyone speaks better English there than Americans would ever German. So they're, they insist on speaking English with you. Yeah. Similar thing happens in in Paris. Oh God. I have Mm -hmm. PTSD from like trying to speak French with waiters and they're just like, please English, like do not waste my (laughs) time. Like this is so painful for me. It's like offensive. Yeah. 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 Lila, I want to go back to growing up in Brookline, Massachusetts, being a mixed race woman. Was it diverse? What was your perception of beauty? What was your perception of yourself relative to your classmates growing up? Brookline was really diverse, but I definitely feel like it was really segregated. So going into high school, especially was like where finally everyone was together. Everyone was like looking at each other's style and trying to understand where they fit in. And I feel like, you know, my, my concept of like my own beauty was definitely built from a place of, I don't really feel like I fit in anywhere. So I feel like, you know, like me having this kind of different and unique style is kind of because I was leaning into feeling different from everybody else. So, you know, I found myself not really fitting in with the black students, not really fitting with the white students. And not only that, like being mixed was actually really new then. Like, I mean, it's been happening forever. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But as far as like generations go, like, yeah, my parents like were still living in a time where like my Italian grandfather almost didn't come to my parents' wedding because I'm wearing a black man. So what year, what year did your parents get married? In 87. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Maybe 86. So what I mean is like, yeah, I mean, I, when I would meet like a mixed person and it's still kind of that way, but not as much, I get, I would get so excited and I would like look at her hair and be like, Oh, her hair's a little bit different. I wonder how she styles hers. So it was really rare to find myself and other people. So I think that that honestly contributed to a lot of things about my identity, but specifically on this topic, like definitely looking around and not really seeing my exact body type represented. I think I had a really huge, I had a a lot of trouble seeing my beauty mirrored in other people. And I think that that honestly is why I've kind of been on this journey of 
trying to find acceptance for my body when I've actually never felt very comfortable in it. That's very interesting to hear you say that. And just bringing it back to the body discussion, I really look at the media I was consuming in high school, PerezHilton.com, literal, like they would circle like actresses, cellulite, like on the beach, like, look at Misha Barton, like she's a whale. Like for people, young people listening, you guys don't even know what the OC was or who Misha Barton is, but it was a whole thing. I mean, that was when Rachel Zoe was dressing um, Nicole Richie and Lindsay Lohan. And I can so vividly remember they had these bangles that would go past their elbows because their arms were so skinny. Like I just have such a like visceral reaction when I even think about those bangles. But we were, I mean, we graduated high school the same year like we were like in the thick of like really toxic like basically like pro anorexia (laughs) media and diet culture and Mm -hmm. I think about now I think about how damaging that is versus what hopefully and I and I think is at least what I'm seeing on Instagram and TikTok a much more body positive movement for Gen Z but like do you ever just like look back at the way that women's bodies were discussed when we were in high school and just you're just in sh- like I'm. I'm in horror. I definitely remember that. I think what I something that's like coming up really vividly for me was it actually wasn't media. It was like a personal experience, like daily in high school, and it was that the like hot, rich, popular girls would all wear hardtail leggings. Oh, the rollovers. Uh huh. And like yeah. North Face and Uggs. <laughs> And that is such an elitist, like a body elitist uniform. Like mm. you only look good in that if you have a thigh gap, really. Interesting. Like, like, yeah. At least, you know, this is my broken, like, you know, version of what I think people think about their bodies. It's, I don't mean to project like, this is what I think, but like, I'm just like, I wouldn't look great in that unless right. I had a thigh gap. So right. it was like, for me, honestly, like, living and breathing every day in high school, not even looking at magazines Mm. was just like this feeling of like, I honestly, to this day, still attach like elitist or like success slash Mm -hmm. like pinnacle clout with that body identity with being skinny and like having a flat stomach and having a thigh gap. And of course then having like straight hair, you know, which is like, now we're getting to like the racial identity piece, which is another discussion. I mean, that's the whole thing though. That's the whole thing. It's like, it's the package deal. It's the, um, I hate to always come back to Gwyneth Paltrow, but like, that's like the still, I think people strive for the super thin, straight hair, clear skin. And there is so much elitism and classism and racism built into that archetype. You are tall. I mean, I'm tall too, but you're like taller than me. How tall are you? Uh, Like 5'11". Okay. 5'11". So you command presence when you walk into a room. Growing up, did you own that height? Was it something you felt like you, you know, shrugged away from? Did you love being tall? I was deeply ashamed of my size and continued to struggle with that. Yes. Really? Being tall? it's all one thing. Like it's not just being tall, it's being broad, it's being big boned. It's it's like, I can never extract just my height from like my mm. perception of how I present. It's not just about, you know, like it's, it's all of the space I'm taking up. It's not just my height. And this is, again, this is how I'm wired. This is at least the conditioning that I'm kind of working through right now is like, 
yeah, I've been very ashamed of my size my whole life. And mm. even when it was like, I play, I've played sports. <laughs> I like act like I literally just got out of high school. I have not played sports <laughs> in like 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but you to. you used to. That's all that matters. Sports. I used to play sports, and especially growing up, um, was always really physically active, and I am now. But I just haven't played like sports sports in a while, and I just remember being yeah, like any kind of movement of my body. Like I think some there were some moments in sports where it was good because I got my head out of it, but I was just. I've just always been extremely self-conscious and conscious of how my body moves and how my body takes up space. This is like getting so deep and so interesting. I I want to talk to you about body dysmorphia because I think it's something that a lot of people go through. I don't even want to say women. I think a lot of people go through it. But I think like you may not agree with me, but probably a doctor or someone externally looking at you would not say that you were overweight or plus size, or I don't know even what the medical terms people use now, but you must have felt like you wanted to reduce your weight. Do you feel like your perception of your physical body matches with the reality of that body? I do. Like I I truly do. And first, I just want to say like, when you think about like, like everything you were just saying about doctors being like, you're overweight or you're like Mm -hmm. too heavy, like those are things I experienced with doctors and oh, I'm not really? saying that I'm like medically in a place or I, sorry, I'm not saying that I was medically obese or overweight. Like I don't actually, I think these terms are actually quite subjective when you look at it. Like yeah. these are things that doctors should really be saying, but yeah, I think that I was often kind of never really encouraged or reinforced or like you know, praise for my body type. It was always like, mm, you could like lose a couple of pounds. Like, mm. you're, you know, like you could be diabetic, <laughs> you know, like I've heard the gamut of things. So there's that. And then, yeah, I mean, just to touch on body dysmorphia, that's like a very, very real clinical, like psychological illness. And I don't have that. I think that that, and I, I'm not an expert, but I'm pretty sure that that pertains more to people who like truly actually like have like psychological reasons why they can't even see their body. Like it leads to different behaviors and different yeah. results. I'm lucky that I, I think I just have, I just don't have that. So yeah. um, it's I more should, subtle in its yeah. way, but it's, yeah, no, it's, it's I should not back that up. I should, I should like revert. Cause it's, it's like, it bothers me. Like when people, like I've spoken to people on this podcast that actually have OCD and then people are like, Oh, I'm so OCD and it like annoys them. So I shouldn't use the term body dysmorphia lightly. You're right. It is like a very serious psychological issue. I think what I'm referring to is I think there are lots of people that walk around and think like, Oh, my nose is huge. And like their nose is like a totally fine, normal size, or they'll walk Mm -hmm. around and they're like, Oh, my top lip disappears. When I smile, I need to get lip filler. It's like so bad. And it's like, it's actually not that bad. Or people that are like, my thighs are just massive. And you're like, your thighs are normal size. They're not Mm -hmm. a weird airbrushed model thigh, but they're totally normal. So I guess what I mean is I think people's perception of themselves doesn't match up with like a false reality. Yeah. I think that that brings up a really interesting point. And something I've been like thinking about a lot in this process is that the reason why like 
body perception or body, like, is that the right way to say it? Like, yeah, yeah, how, yeah. yeah, like how you perceive yourself, your body confidence is so tricky is that it's almost like equal parts, what you believe and what you believe others to believe, if mm. that makes any sense. That's so deep. like, yeah. And it's, it's, it's been coming up for me because, and I can get into it later, but like how I've been looking at my results is like a constant kind of flux of like, I, I objectively look better. That's like me satisfying that inner self. But then there's like, but do others believe that or see that? And then that's this whole other thing that, you know, that's the, that's the right. shit that we have to work to unearth. Do you feel like you are overly critical of your body? I do because I don't believe anybody deserves the amount of criticism that I give mine. Like I know mm. that it is wrong. I am still this way. And I, it's been every day for as long as I can remember. I've never had a day where I've looked myself in the mirror naked or like clothed and been like, today you look like, like mm. it's, there's never been that day. And it's, mm. and it's even like, even on my wedding day, which is like, a day I worked really hard to and you looked make sure I was so in a beautiful. good place for. You I looked felt so great. beautiful. You I looked felt so beautiful. great. Yeah. I looked great. I felt great. And I said that to myself and I was like, you're beautiful. It would have been better if your dress could have been a couple sizes down, mm. you know? So, so it's a, it's a constant, it's a constant thing for me. And like that I is something I hoped to solve with this procedure with getting liposuction. Also knowing, because I'm pretty self-aware that like just a procedure is not going to fix my shit. (laughs) Like I got shit to deal with, but I was really hoping that it would be at least like a 50% increase in my happiness. (laughs) And it's been slower than that. Like it's, I'm not there at all, but I feel good in certain moments. And like, I'm appreciating those moments a lot. And I'm like, there's just a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot. And I'm like getting emotional hearing you say this because you're so beautiful and so perfect, but it's you, right? It's your own self-perception. So other people can say it all the time. I'm a huge fan of your husband who we also went to college with. And I'm sure he tells you all the time how beautiful and perfect you are, but it's that, it's that internal monologue that is so important. Um, I want to hear about the research before you decided, okay, I, I want to do liposuction. But before we get into that, I want to share something with you because I, I don't think I've ever shared this with you. It's interesting about shopping and retail and you do merchandising and you were mm-hmm. in the business of um, mm-hmm. providing clothes for people. I was gave birth. Uh, my body changed a lot after birth. I think like you saw me right after I gave birth and you were like, wow, like you look really different, which I did. None of my clothes fit. I mean, still, I, I'm still in the process of buying new clothes. And I, maybe like four months postpartum, which is like when most people quote unquote snap back, <laughs> I realized the snap back was not going to happen for me, but someone encouraged me. And I, I, I really appreciate her, um, Eva Chen, who I work with, who's like the queen of, of shopping and all things fashion. She was like, go buy new clothes in your new size. So I was like, okay. So I just walked around my neighborhood. I went to Intermix. I have never felt so like depressed. Like I was literally on the verge of tears. Nothing in there fit me. Then I went to Acne, our Swedish friends at Acne. You know, Acne makes great jeans. And I said, oh, I like these jeans. First of all, you don't even realize my whole life I've worn like a size 26, 27 jean, size zero, two, four. All of that stuff is on the floor. I didn't even realize that 
at higher end sizes, they don't even, it's like, it's like you're in a showroom. <laughs> like it's like, they don't even, they don't even put your stuff out. So I picked up a pair of jeans that were like cute and like a little size 26. And I was like, Oh, do you have this in like a 31, 32? And the way she said it too was like, so just cruel. She was like, oof, like we don't, we don't go up that size. You could try maybe the largest men's size we have, but I don't know if that's going to work for you either. And I was like, so, I mean, I, I, I kept my composure and I was like, that's okay. But it was this really sad moment for me where one, I had to ask myself, why does, okay, so I can't fit the clothes at Acne or Intermix or all the stores. And all, okay, so what? I can go on fashionova.com and get some, you know, <laughs> curve hugging, whatever, and like look bomb in that and embrace my curves. But for some reason, this is really making me feel away. Is it because for so long I've associated myself with dressing a certain way or wearing certain designers? Is it just the reality that maybe my body will be like this forever? It was, it was just like a whole emotional thing for me. And you doing what you do. And I think this is very size inclusive. And I'm not asking you as like a representative of the company to like make a statement on like how you guys decide to do, you know, buying and sizing, not here for that. But I'm just wondering, as you think about clothes and trends and being someone that does have influence over what we see in stores, how do you think about that shopping experience for people of all sizes? Well, firstly, as a representative, I will say we have a long way to go as far as size inclusivity. I'm excited about that in my work and I feel very strongly about it. But now, no longer as a representative, <laughs> to be fully honest with you, I view trying to shop in person as an act of personal terrorism. <laughs> and I'm dead ass serious. And it's, but it's funny because like that's literally so dramatic, but it's how I feel. I, I cannot remember the last time I was like, I'm going to go out shopping to stores and find something for myself that'll right. fit. I have right. not done that. And, and in high school, it was mortifying. And in college, it was mortifying. And thank God after college, I was living in New York and like had some options, some more options than, you know, the average person in America. But yeah, I don't shop in stores. It is way mm. too traumatic because mm. of that. And it's 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 because the whole experience about stores is capitalism. It's like, we want your money and you want to buy something. And it's like, yeah, I got money. I want to buy something. Oh, wait, I can't participate in my basic rights yeah. as a, like, in, the, the, in the economy because... I'm a 14 or a 16 or an 18. And, right. and so, yeah, I mean, I commend the brands out there that are super size inclusive in stores, like places like American Eagle, biggest competitor of mine, because I do denim, but I will say it like, you know, they do an incredible job of being super inclusive places like, you know, Fabletics and Old Navy that now have plus size mannequins. Like these are, you know, things that should be normalized and like, you shouldn't just be selling the dream on skinny ass white mannequins. Like it right. just, it shouldn't be that way. But you know, yeah, I, I hope one day to have enough power <laughs> and control to make that experience better for a lot of women and girls because yeah. I definitely have had a rough time at it. Absolutely. And, and if you want to, you will, I have no doubt about that. <laughs> so Tell me at what point we've also been in, you know, lockdown, quarantine, COVID, whatever this past almost literally two years has been. At what point did you say, I want to look into liposuction or some sort of weight loss surgery? 
what, had you been working out and dieting? Like, tell me, tell me the journey to saying, okay, I want to look at surgery. Yeah. There was a lot of things coming together. So in quarantine in 2020, so just last year, I found myself like, I, yeah, like I was saying before, I'm, I've kind of always been athletic and I like to work out, but have never really, you know, had a regular thing that I've been doing. And in COVID, like every other person, I got a Peloton <laughs> and I fucking love my Peloton. So I'm yeah. sorry, but I love my Peloton and I literally will be that corny bitch who says that, but it gives me so much joy and yeah. it makes me feel really good. And so I was getting to this place where I started kind of establishing these rituals around fitness where I would like, you know, wake up and do like 10 minutes of just like core, which is like me lying on a mat and stretching. Like, it's great. Like I found myself reconnecting to my body in this way where I was like, I'm just going to get really strong. Like, I don't care if I bulk up, like, I just want to like have a strong heart right now. Let me just focus on that. So after doing that for you know, like, I guess I got my Peloton in November of 2020. So almost a year ago, it hasn't even been a year. So I was working out a lot and feeling amazing. And we were camping a lot last summer. And I was just like, yeah, connecting to my body in this different way where I was feeling good about moving it and good about feeling good about it. And so that was happening. And then at the same time, here I am becoming a TikTok addicted human <laughs> scrolling through everything every single day. And my algorithm brings me to BBLs. And all of a sudden, everything I'm looking at is women's yeah. bodies looking yeah. fucking just like snatched, like right. the, the, the good and the bad and the ugly, like yeah. snatched all day on my screen. And I'm just like, wow, you know, a lot of people are getting surgery and this is crazy. And I'm, you know, a lot of it was really voyeuristic because I'm looking at these bodies and I'm just like, yeah, I will never look like that. Even if I want, like, even if I got all the surgery in the world, like I'm just not ever going to look like that. But the more it was on my screen, the more I was like, wow, like body modification, which is kind of how I view it, which is extreme, extreme to put it, but I'm like, okay, like, it was being coming demystified for me. And like, I, as a person who my whole life has struggled with my body confidence and weight, I never considered liposuction as an option. And I don't know when that like left my brain or probably never entered it because I was super young or whatever. But like, to me, liposuction was always just this thing over there and very, very like, I don't even know, like just like really rich people get it or like celebrities who don't talk about it or like old, old women. Like, I don't even know who I thought that lipo, but I was definitely never tuned into that as an option. I think, to be honest, I had really gotten comfortable with just maybe accepting my body for better or worse. Like maybe I was just already like, there's literally nothing you can do. You're just going to be miserable forever. Like, I think Mm. that that was somewhere I had gotten. And so when I'm seeing all of these things come up and I'm all, all of these people, like all of these women, different races, really uh-huh. young to the point where I'm like, y'all are way too young to be doing this. But still, Some our, of these girls your mama's like, gotten it and she's, she's, she looks yeah. real good. You know, like, yeah. yeah, like we should talk about that. Cause that's, I think problematic. And I feel, I feel like as a 32, almost 33 year old woman, I was ready to make the decision, but another conversation. Yeah. I was just like, huh, <laughs> like, I guess this is kind of achievable as an option. Like, I I could do this and it could lead to something 
drastically different from what I've tried before, which is dieting and still being dissatisfied. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's more extreme, but like, Hmm, like this is actually really interesting. So I've started looking at smart liposuction, which is what I got, which is a little bit different from traditional lipo. You're awake for it, which is, we got to talk about that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a different, less invasive form, which is totally not true. Um, of it. And it's so less downtime and you can like bounce back to work really quickly. And so I'm like looking at it and I'm just like, gosh, this is really something I could do for myself. Like all of a sudden I became completely obsessed. And I'm, I'm just like that too. When I get fixated on something, I can be kind of impulsive and I'll just like, once I've made it in my mind, I've made it in my mind. And a big part of the process where I was really kind of trying to like figure out how to navigate, I guess, was the conversation with my mom. I Mm. like, yeah, I, it was easier. It was easy to talk to Elliot, but my mom, I was just like, how am I going to bring this up? I, I felt like she was going to really be against it. And more than anything, I thought she wasn't going to understand. I was just Mm. like, not going to understand why I want to do something this extreme. And that in and of itself, like, I don't want to have to explain to her because it's so much. And like so much of my body identity and body issues, I'll say, I do connect with things that my mother has said to me and the ways that we interacted when we were younger or Mm. when I was younger. And I don't mean that as a pointing finger. It's just what it was. Like, she was raising a mixed child in a, in a world where she had no allies either, like, or no one else who had the shared experience. Like, how would she know the things that she was saying were harmful? You know, she just, she just didn't. So, so yeah, I was just like, I could do this, but I'm like, Oh, I'm, I don't know if I want to talk about it. And, but I knew I had to. So Mm -hmm. approaching my mom was kind of the biggest thing. And she was really understanding. She was really Mm -hmm. like, and yeah, I mean, I had to preface it because she's literally just like such a like energetic Italian woman. She'll like, she'll jump in at any second. I was like, I actually, before I start, like, I need you to promise me you're not going to say anything until I'm done. Like you just can't. And she did. And, and it was good. Like she's the most empathetic and wonderful person. I don't know why I thought it would be so hard. Like why? Yeah. In my head, it was going to be a bad, such bad conversation, but I bet, that felt, I, I bet that felt so good to yeah, tell her. I cried. And then I will also say my mom paid for it. Oh, wow. And I, that's a big thing I wanted to be clear to say, because it's not cheap is that, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm a grown ass woman. I should pay for things myself, but this was something I wanted and she offered and it was really kind of her. So she did, yeah, she did pay for it. And has been checking, you know, she's really happy for me. She's happy. Wow. She's happy for me in the moments where I say I'm happy about it. It's not all Love the it. time. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Before we get into what it was actually like and finding a doctor, there are three things we brought up that I want to go back to. The first thing that you brought up that I want to go back to BBLs and just this BBL effect world that we live in. I'm seeing people as young as 18 get BBLs. And I just want to say that like, I feel like in your like mid twenties, you hit like a second puberty where like, you get hips and a butt and like, that's going to come. So if you're just like a little stick figure and you're like, I want curves, like I just think just wait and until not even just until your body develops, like your brain, like to even understand. It is insane to me that doctors allow, like will operate and do that kind of cosmetic procedures on women's bodies, knowing that they will naturally change. Like you can't control the results of your work. Like 
I mean, more than anything, there's, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane what the Kardashian effect has been, but like, it definitely has, it's just like, everything is exponential this, at this point in time, like, it feels like everything's just happening more and more aggressively every day. And I feel like body work is one of those things. And like the amount of people, including myself, who are getting it done is, is really wild. And it's also just like back when we were young, like bodies weren't for sale quite like they are now. Like it's it's totally different. It's a totally different industry. You can do a package and get your whole body contoured. Like these are things that people are seeing as being attainable. Whereas what I was saying before, I didn't even think liposuction was attainable because I literally barely saw it represented anywhere because I grew up in a time where I wasn't being bombarded with shit on on my phone all the time. So totally, it's, I I feel like scared for this generation and I definitely don't condone getting this done at all or don't recommend getting it done like until you're really like, I don't know, an adult. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think eighteen is quite there. Totally, totally. And 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 to the point about like the Kardashian effect and it's interesting. I think if I had grown up now seeing those body types, probably I would have felt a different way of like, I'm not curvy enough. I like, li- I was unaware that, what hip dips were until recently. And then I like look in the mirror now and I'm like, oh, like I actually don't have hips. Like I'm pretty, I've got a butt, but I'm pretty like narrow. And like there's surgery now where you can like get hips. And there's this, even though people aren't obsessed with being stick skinny the way they were in like the early 2000, probably honestly from like the nineties to like the late 2000s, there's this new obsession with being curvy. That's also- Yeah. Hourglass is also really unattainable. I mean, how many people, I mean, the Kardashians aren't even shaped like that naturally, right? There are very, very few people that are naturally shaped with like a tiny little waist and big boobs and a huge butt. So the pendulum swung the other way, but it's also still equally unattainable. The second thing I wanted to talk to you about is this idea of body modification, because this is where I think this conversation is really empowering. As you said before, you can choose to get your eyebrows microbladed. You can choose to get eyelash extensions. You can choose to wear a wig, a weave. You can really choose whatever you want for your body. Do you agree that this decision you made for yourself to get Smart Lipo and change your body was ultimately an empowering one? I want to say, yeah. Like I, I do feel empowered, but maybe not in the best sense. Like I feel empowered to know that money can buy certain things that I can like for my body, like Mm -hmm. that I can use money to change my body. Like that to me is like this whole new concept, which I sound so like naive, but like, (laughs) I just mean like for myself, I just really had never considered these things. So it's like, Oh, I, I see now, like I see the game in a sense. I'm like, that's why all these girls in LA look like this. It's like, if you have the money, like you can kind of buy these things and like where it gets messy is like, I think these things now are kind of like social status. So it's like this weird perpetuation of like, you're trying to like, it's just so unattainable. And at the same time, like these people who are already elitist, like become even more kind of elitist in your head. It's like, it's all of this weird, like these weird dynamics and I feel good to know that I can do something that'll help me if that makes sense. But yeah, I guess, I don't know. I haven't, empowering is just not quite the word I would use Mm -hmm. to like 
I understand this feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand what you mean. And speaking of cost, are you comfortable sharing like, ball, you don't have to say how much you paid, but ballpark, like how much it would cost to get smart lipo. I yes. have no idea. Okay. So yeah, we can I'm in the dark. Let's do this. So I got, I forget how many areas exactly, but essentially all of my abdomen done. So I got what they call are the bra rolls. So like where your bra band goes, my flanks, which are my sides, my back, like my whole back. (laughs) And then (laughs) let's talk about that. Um, And then my stomach. So kind of just like all the way around. And the total was 8,000. 8,000. Okay. A significant amount of money, but not... Significant, but like for sure, like for the areas, like which were many. So they did a total of eight incisions in my body eight locations where they were doing the lipo essentially. So it's like, it's not a robbery. Like, and I went to see an actual plastic surgeon, which I highly recommend. Do not see a cosmetic surgeon, see a board certified plastic surgeon. So the prices I, you know, you don't want the group on, like you want to pay the full right. amount. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I'm going to ask you an ignorant question that I know is ignorant, but just to play devil's advocate. If you took that $8,000 and went to like a trainer and got like, I don't know, on a nutrition meal plan, do you feel like you could have achieved those same results? Absolutely not. Okay. Because I think that's what, I think that's what people say, right? They're like, oh, just save the money and like get a gym membership. Absolutely not. Nope. It's just not possible. Um, (laughs) The areas that I got, well, I mean, first of all, having been somebody who's been on a 32, 33 year journey in this body and has tried everything you know, from diets to eating disorders, to keto, to, you know, training, like fitness, like everything. Like I just know from experience that it's just never going to happen. That kind of question is really hard to hear. Not like, no, of course. I know I should have get, I should have done like a trigger warning before I asked that question. Cause I know it's, I know it's an ignorant question, but I, it's just when you, when, when this conversation comes up, that's often what I hear people saying. So I wanted to know how you would respond to it. No, I think that's fair. And I think it's just like, it, it's just that it comes from a person who doesn't understand how this is attached to trauma and like personal trauma and mm-hmm. personal journey. Totally, totally. So let's get into the big event, the actual surgery. Mm-hmm. I was shook when we spoke after. I knew that there was going to be some recovery, but I didn't know that you were like on the battlefield. So... <laughs> Take us through, what do you have to do to prepare? And then what's it like the actual day of the surgery? Okay. So beforehand, you have a consultation initially, and that's just to like talk through everything. You meet the doctor, you put down the deposit, they, they talk you through everything and you sign, you sign a bunch of shit. Then there's the pre-op appointment, which happens like two weeks before. They talk you through the same stuff. They're so thorough and great about just explaining all of the risks, all of all of the things that are going to happen, all of the things you need to do because smart lipo is not about the procedure. It's about the aftercare, which is so intense. And so they're very, very strict about you understanding exactly what it's going to entail of you. You also get measured for your garment, also known as like a faha. So you, it's the compression garment that you have to wear for months. <laughs> um, and then they fill a couple of prescriptions for you ahead of time. So you bring those with you. Um, you start to take antibiotics beforehand. They give you a bunch of Arnica for aftercare. So, and then they give you, you know, like a strong pain relief and then something to take during the procedures that's going to kind of like knock you out a little bit. 
So you come day of with all of those medications already. You've got your garment. There's this really nice lady, lady named Iselda who's like, she's kind of like, I think she's a nurse's assistant, but she's also like, she's just like, she's there to put me in my faha and like, tell me what to do. And I just love her for it. Um, where, and where did you get this done for people that are in like the area that maybe would be yeah. interested? So I'm in Philadelphia and I went to see Dr. Glatt, G-L-A-T okay. in Ballard-Penwood. Um, They were great. So yeah, so I get there in a really nice kind of like spa-like room. She's like, all right, so you just, you know, you get undressed, you have to put on all the paper garments, those weird things that like don't fit you. And like, I ripped immediately. So I'm just like holding up like the paper, uh, you know, like trying to be modest. And then I'm like, fuck it. These guys are going to see me naked. And then the doctor comes in and the doctor's um, assistant, uh, surgeon, I should say, surgeon's assistant, mark you up, mark me up. And basically I was like, so curious to you because you always see those marks and it's like, what are you doing? Like, how do you, what is it? How does that translate? And it's basically like a topographic map when you think about like elevation. So they're like, they're kind of like honing in on different areas of bulk because when you lie down, everything's flat. So it tells them like how to like, which depth to target areas. That's, That's so yeah. interesting. So Right. Wait, yeah. I always wondered, like, what type of marker is it? Is it like a permanent marker? Like, what's the deal? It's like a washable. I don't know. I feel like it, I'm like a dry erase. I don't really know. <laughs> dry erase. Okay, um, but thank you for demystifying that because I've always been like yeah. so curious. Okay, so, so it's curious. like a topographic map that makes so much yeah. sense. Okay. Yep. So he draws you up, draws draws me up. I don't know like what tense to speak, and it's weird. So he drew me up, and then I take like a little bit of this sedation thing. And it's time to go in. So <laughs> I'm on, there's, it's like a pretty small operating room. And so this is, so the whole thing I should say about smart lipo is you're not under general anesthesia. So therefore you're not in a regular hospital or anything like that. You're not paying for an anesthesiologist. It's all local. So therefore they do it like they have an op, like a small room operating room at the bottom of their practice. So I wasn't in an actual hospital. I was just like at the same, like, like below the office essentially, And so, yeah, the room is like pretty small, just like an examination room. I lie down on this table and basically they build like around my head, kind of like they hung towels around it. So I couldn't see anyone. I was like in this own little, like in my own bubble, in my own world, which was a great, great call on their part. So they like, you know, they um, like sponge me down and make sure everything, like all of the bacteria is gone, whatever. So they start. So, so smart label happens in a couple of stages. So the first stage is they need to create the incision and the incisions are like the holes in your body where everything is going to enter. So in order to create the incision, they use a syringe to just um, numb like local, like your back or your area, the area where they're going to put the scalpel. And so that's just like a little pinch, like not bad at all. But they use a scalpel, open up like a tiny, it's like, I don't know, maybe like a half inch, like super tiny incision, which you don't feel like you don't feel any pain. And so he does that. And I think, well, we started on my back. So I think he made four total. So the next step is they numb the area from underneath your skin. So this is the first time they go under your skin. Um, they use this tube, it's called a cannula. They insert it into the incision and this cannula has numbing agent in it. And so this is meant to disperse quickly throughout your ba- your body, so that it's it's like in your system, it's in your fluids. Can so you feel that, that is, happening? Oh yeah, girl, you 
feel everything. You've, oh my God. Like, if you take nothing away from this, guys, like you feel everything. Whether or not it's pain, you still feel it. And that's, yeah. I think, what I wasn't prepared for. So yeah, so this, this tube that's like emitting um, the numbing agent is sharp like when it hits certain places, but then immediately it numbs. So it's uncomfortable, but it's kind of like, it's like, oh, okay. Ow. Like, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like a tattoo kind of like, it's, yeah. it's like not that bad after it starts. Right. But it's, you know, like I'm a big girl, like it's a lot of area to cover. So like, they're like, kind of like they're, they're inserting the cannula in different like angles to like get the fluid like in there. So that this takes like, half an hour at least like in one in one spot and as they're going so actually let me stop there so then the next stage the next tube that goes in is the laser and this is like what makes smart light bulb so cool and like what it is is that it uses this laser that does two things that are really beneficial it the laser emits like heat and that breaks down the fat so therefore when you're when the doctor is extracting the fat it's not coming out in chunks which is more like like fat cells that are big, which happens in regular lipo, these fat cells have almost been dissolved. So it's more of like a fluid. So that's great. And then the other thing that it does is with the heat, it uh, promotes skin tightening. So your skin is heated after. And so it helps to like the skin to retract after everything is done. So oh, that's, that's what, what makes smart lipo smart lipo. So the laser going in is it has to go in the same places that the freaking like everything else has gone in. The laser is when you discover that you're not quite numb yet and that certain places are not numb at all. So it's like, like searing pain. Like it's, it's, it's a long tube in between your skin and your muscle. Like it is inside of you. And in the places where it wasn't properly numb, it was just like, holy fucking shit. There's a sword in my body. Like, what am I doing? (laughs) And so so I'm at, at any point, Lila, did you feel like what have I signed up for? At the end. At the very Okay, end. we haven't even gotten there yet. Okay. We haven't gotten okay, there. so let me let me I, let you I'm, continue. Yeah, like I'm still game. I'm still at this point, I'm like, all right, you, I'm here for business. I told them to take out the maximum amount. I was like, I'm not going home till those four liters are done. Like I was ready for it. You know, I was like, I'm here, I'm doing this. So right. I, I also will say, and I really want to say this clearly, like I have an insanely high threshold for, um, for pain. And this is really the only thing I think that got me through this because I do, I just, if you are sensitive to pain at all, if you do not like being in pain, if you will have a panic, like this is not for you, do not get liposuction, like wow. do not do it because I felt like I had been through crazy shit and I feel like I can handle almost anything. So wow. all of that, let me just say my procedure lasted four hours. It was supposed to last two hours. Oh so God. this is another reason why it was insane. After the laser goes in, finally, it's time for the lipo. Like this is like an hour in. Oh and God. so the doctor takes, it's the same size tube, but it's, it's like metal. Instead, it's like a straw and puts it in and the machine is like a car engine. Like the machine is loud and it's, you know, I'm sitting there and like, you know, like my head covered in towels and I'm like kind of stoned, but like also just kind of like, what the fuck? This is crazy. Like, (laughs) but the rattling of the machine is like right there and it's very visceral. And then the doctor, it's actually like, he is physically leaning over me pushing and pulling inside of me. It is extremely physical for plastic surgeons to do lipo. In fact, he's like, I only do one a day because they're exhausting. And 
what like there's like women certain like doctors who just like won't even do lipo because it's that physical it's like he was so tired by the end he was sweating so it's like it's this loud machine it is vibrating inside of you it is certainly painful there are plenty of areas that were not numb and he's going in and out and he's on me and it's painful and you know I really just like I couldn't be more grateful that they were so sensitive to when I was in pain and they would stop and like numb me again so that's why it ended up taking so long but So let me tell you why the end was so bad. So like I said, this is lasting way longer than it's supposed to. And I also feel like they just like didn't give me enough of like stuff to get me stoned. So I was like, I was just like, I need like more. When you say say stoned, you mean like the like pain meds? Yeah, pain meds. Exactly. Well, it was, it wasn't pain meds. It was like sedation. Like I can't, you know, like mutate, like make me stupid. Yeah. And so... I needed more. They gave me more, but I was like the rules, there are rules. You can, they can only use a certain amount of anesthesia and pump it into your body. And that's why you can not be in a hospital is because they're like staying under the certain regulated amount. So he's like, we're getting really low on the light, on the, the numbing agent. Right. And like, we can't, go past a certain amount. And he had already, we were on my, I was on my back. So he was doing my stomach now, which was like the biggest like area. And he'd already kind of done one side. So like, he's like, I need to do the other one exactly the same. Like you have to be even, but like, I'm running really low. Do you want to continue? Cause you can always like go back another. I was like, I never, like you have to do this now. Like I'm here for never. It's now or never. Like you promised. <laughs> like I get my fucking four liters. Like, so I'm just like, just go for it. Like he's like, okay, I have laughing gas in case you need it. But like by the end, when we truly did run out and I still was in there for like another 20 minutes, I was legitimately, he was, I remember because it was going up towards my heart, kind of like the incisions are like, I have two on my bikini, um, like the top of my bikini line, and then two under my boobs. And I think he must've been in the one under my boob because he was like going into my stomach. I just remember so vividly. And I was just like, I am feeling everything. I am feeling everything. And I was, I was under like those towels. Like I was like praying slash chanting at a certain point where like, that's the level of pain I was in where I was like talking to myself. I was like delirious. And of course it was like on drugs too, but like I was delirious because I had just never, ever imagined how it was just so gory. (laughs) Like it was just, it was, it was so graphic in the sense of like, I just could understand everything was happening at every point in time. I just remember walking on and being like, that was just fucked up. And I just can't believe that I just took that. (laughs) I'm so so happy that you're talking about it candidly, Lila, because I think people think it's like an easy thing. Like, oh, I'll just get some lipo when it's it's a very intensive physical i mean just you describing it i feel like i have a much deeper sense of what goes into it and yeah it's intense so cliff notes on the recovery process because yeah. i'm sure there are phases and like there's like the first half hour the first day the first 6 hours the first 48 hours yeah. main takeaways on the recovery process okay main takeaway number 1 is that they say you will not see your full results for six months to a year. Wow. So you have to be prepared for that. And for somebody who's very impulsive, it's not necessarily like 
satisfying or encouraging to know that and to, to see where you're at, like after a month, you have to keep remembering that. So that's, that's one thing. How, how long has it been for you, Lila, since you did it? Um, It's been, I think like maybe six weeks, six weeks. Okay. Okay. Six months. Yeah. For someone that wants instant gratification, that's like worst nightmare. Cause you're like, I just, I went through this. I want to see results, but you said you took out Four, when you, you kept referring to four liters. What is that? Four liters of fat, <laughs> of four fat. liters. And I think wow. it could be five. I might be wrong, but there's a limit to how much fat they will take out. They can take out of your body, which is in America, which is why people travel overseas or down South to get surgery. Sorry, down South, meaning like in the Caribbean or like Mexico, like, yeah. because other countries don't have those regulations. So he was like, this is the maximum I can take out. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you took out the four liters, but okay. You're six weeks post-op, but it takes six months to a year to see your results. Okay. So second thing to take away is that you are going to not be able to go to work the next day. <laughs> and like, okay, I, I should also say I got a lot of areas done. Like if you were just getting one area done, this could, would be a very different story. So I did do a lot of areas and that's why I'm so, like, that's why I went through what I went through. I think if you just did your stomach, for example, like, yeah, maybe you could go to work the next day. But I was filled with fluid, like literally leaking fluid for three days. I mean, the worst is like the first 24 hours. And then you can shower after three days. That's when you can like get your incisions wet. I was wrapped up in huge adult diapers, like bound in them. And Elliot had set up our guest room with plastic sheets, essentially under regular sheets so that I wouldn't stain anything. And I leaked like pink bloody fluid for at least leaking from leaking from where from my incisions the holes in my body yeah which they actually stitched but that still leaks it's all of the fluid so that's why the recovery takes so long like I still have fluid inside of me that like needs to pass in addition to swelling which is also something that needs a lot of time to go down and then on top of that my skin is still a little bit loose so it needs to contract. So that's why I have to wear a compression garment all the time because its skin needs to bond back to your muscles. So that's literally why the rec- like you have to wear this garment for. I mean, they everyone says something different. I think my doctor said three months, but some place some people say a year. I think that that's like every day. Mis- oh, twenty three hours a day. So you're wearing one now. I am not wearing one right now. This is my hour off, girl. <laughs> Okay. I love it. I love it. Is it uncomfortable to sleep in? And fuck yeah, it's sweaty. Like I'm sweating every night. Like the first weeks, like I was bigger than I was before. Like I was so swollen and I was also couldn't bend over and was in pain and was not looking cute and was totally regretting everything for like the first two weeks. Like I was just like, feeling great one day and then looking at myself and being like, you still have no shape and you still don't look good and blah, blah, blah. So I feel like last week I passed the threshold where I was like, Oh my God, I can wear these pants. I haven't worn these pants in years. Like it's finally getting gratifying and I'm really excited and I'm, I'm really happy. I did it like as crazy as that, as that sounds, like I'm really happy. I did this. I think that the, the change that I see and the things that I say to myself, these would never have come to fruition if I hadn't done something this dramatic and this drastic. 
And then what other like takeaways for recovery? Yeah, it's really just, you just have to be really diligent about that compression garment. You're also like, you shouldn't like, you have to drink a shit ton of water and like try not to eat salt and like exercise is really important. So, you know, oh it's like take with care the, of your Baja on, you have to exercise. I, I just use like one of those, like it's like a stretchy foam, like sport one that like dries easily. So like, okay. yeah. I have a bunch of different options, girl. You got to get options because you're going to get smaller over time. And then also, yeah, there's, if you have to wear compression garment all day, you need like all different kinds of compression garments. It's crazy. Wow. It's such a, it's such a process, but I think it's great that you decided you wanted to do this for yourself. You got through it with no medical issues, which thank God for that. Mm -hmm. And now you're in the recovery process. And I'm just so excited for you that you're seeing results and you're happy with the results. That's the best part, just seeing that you're so happy with the progress that you're seeing and, and knowing that more progress is to come. Yeah, it's definitely like every day is different. Like I'm for sure this, I think the last thing I do want to say is like, this is not solve my body issues. This will not solve my body issues. Like that is still going to be something I think I battle with every day. And I never thought that this would be the cure-all. And I wouldn't say my expectations have not been met in that regard. I just, you've got the same body at the end of the day. It might look a little different, but it's the same body like that you're living in for your life. So it is something that I think should be paired with other exercises and investment in other ways of becoming healthy and becoming body positive which I think comes from therapy and I think comes from positive affirmations and from speaking kindly to yourself. And those are all things I need to learn how to do more of. Um, so it's not a cure-all at all. It's just a nice boost. And it's like, I'm very privileged to have been able to do this for myself. Absolutely. Well, you you really led me into my last question, which was, what are the things that you're doing to change your relationship with your body? Um, what are some of those positive affirmations or are you you know, looking into getting a therapist or you already have a therapist to talk to about this, but what are the things that you're doing beyond the surgery to, you know, change your relationship with your body? I think I'm trying to redefine what strength, like bodily strength is because I've always been strong, like a strong, like big person. And I've been really ashamed of my strength and mm in working out more and in being like, you know, really dedicated to biking or like stationary, <laughs> stationary biking, you know, that's, that's something that I'm seeing in myself. I'm like, you're really strong. Like this is, you know, not everyone can like do this. Like this is like your body performing in this way that is really measurable and something I see every day and feel and, and, and being strong and bulky and muscular was something I used to be really ashamed of. So I'm really trying to look at health and strength and like how my heart feels and how my energy feels. And I'm trying to appreciate that more because I, you know, I've, I've done therapy. I can do therapy for the rest of my life. It, it's a, it's going to be a choice. It's a, it's a choice to love yourself. And I don't think anyone else is really going to help me get there. I'm just really happy that I have this thing liposuction now in my toolbox that I can do. And it is something that does make me feel better. And I'm sure I'll do it again, you know, like in certain areas, like it's, it works, it's, it's effective, but yeah, I think this is all just journey to self-love. And I think that I need to just learn how to really like appreciate my body for what it is. And if it's strong, like I'm very lucky. So I should really just bask in that. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I'm sure you had this 
moment, I think, as we all do, if we have something that happens to us physically where we can't move around. I certainly had it after giving birth where I just think how grateful, like how much you take for granted being able to like jump and like oh. run down the street or like it's such a privilege. It's go such up a privilege. the stairs. It's I think such that a every privilege. time I go hiking, I'm just like this space, like, think, like I, especially when I get to like tough places, I like to thank my legs as I'm going because it's mm. like, you're just like anything to get me up this mountain. But like, I feel like you just, oh my God, you have to be grateful for movement. And the fact that I have to be grateful for the fact that I have two legs and a heart that's healthy. Like it is such a privilege. Yeah. Yes. And I love what you're saying about strength. That's definitely the wave I'm on. I, I guess, unfortunately people get so alarmed when I say this, but I do continue to weigh myself at least not every day, maybe like five times a week. I weigh myself, which I know, I know. Another act of personal terrorism. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you know what though? It's interesting. It's like become, it's just like a data point. It doesn't, I mean, maybe it does impact my mood, but anyway, I'm now working out with a trainer and I've gotten, I mean, this idea of like, oh, I have to be the size that I was before pregnancy. It's kind of gone out the window. Like now I'm like, okay, how can I be stronger than I ever was before? How can I like do burpees and like lift stronger weights? And I, I did training this morning and I like did uh, these like presses with like the heaviest weight I've ever done. And like my trainer was like, you're like really getting up there. And I was like, yes, like this feels awesome. Like this is way better than like a low number on the scale. Cause it feels, re- it feels more real. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I completely agree. And I think that that will work for me in addition to the fact that now I can wear some of my pants that I didn't fit in for a yes. long time. Like that, that is something I need. I really needed that. Like that was a really big win. Like putting things on that I feel like I haven't looked good in in years, like, and, or putting on a pair of jeans and being like, okay, like I needed those moments too. So yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about this conversation. It's nuanced. It's because I think it's so easy to talk about these things in absolutes and like boil them down to like, just love yourself or, you know, like the conversation gets like a little corny, to be honest, like on the internet, people are just like, look at Lizzo. She's like, it's, it's, just, you know, mm-hmm. as a podcaster, I appreciate nuance. I appreciate nuance conversation. So I appreciate you bringing all of your real experience, all of your vulnerability to this discussion. Final question. You've been on the podcast before, so you know what it's going to be, but it's when do you feel most beautiful these days? These days I'm feeling beautiful. Like I'm feeling good lately, like Donna and like wearing something that's not a t-shirt and doing my makeup in the morning. And when my curls are like freshly popping, like I'm like, that's really working for me lately. And I don't, you know, I think the first time I answered that question a couple of years ago, it was like when I'm, you know, freshly out of the sun and like feeling just like I'm basking in the outdoors and I, I feel beautiful then, but I just want to be so honest. Like I, I lately, like I've really needed that pick me up of like that face of makeup and that cute top. And like, that's, that's really been working for me lately. So I'm, I'm happy that like this surgery has kind of given me a new way to feel pretty. Yes. And it's working. I mean, you look amazing. The makeup on point, hair on point, outfit on point. And yeah, I think those little things do give you that extra boost of confidence. And I think it's also a reflection of your own mental state. There are so many days, weeks, the past year, especially like, yeah, during this whole COVID thing where I just did not have the self-motivation to, it wasn't because I was like, oh, I'm so beautiful. I don't need a stitch of makeup. It was like, I can't. 
and uh, mm-hmm. this this mm-hmm. t-shirt is the best that I can do. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm, I'm ready to emerge in different ways for sure. <laughs> totally. Well, thank you so much, Lila. This was so wonderful. I will put your Instagram account and your new TikTok account in, in the, in the show notes. So people can reach out to you and ask questions. If they, are you open to getting DMs? Yeah, of course. Okay. So Naked Beauty Community, DM Lila if you have any questions about her experience or if you just want to thank her for uh, sharing her story on the podcast. Thank you so much, Lila. Thanks, Brooke. So that was the episode with Lila. I thought it was so interesting and so important. And I hope it was helpful for some of you, whether you're considering doing something like liposuction and this helped you get more information and you're going to go for it, or if you were maybe thinking about doing it, but now hearing the reality of the recovery and how painful the actual surgery is, you're like, you know what? This was helpful to me. I don't have a high tolerance for pain. I am not a good candidate for this. Or if you, like me, just simply enjoy nuanced conversations about these body image issues and the standards around body, which we have developed Or if you were like me and you were simply just interested in conversations around the way standards of body image have been developed and the way that we each experience it in our personal lives, I do hope you guys found some value in this conversation. So thank you guys so much for listening. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 